views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil. When the feast that feeds you starves our father's children. When snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up. When famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared, if his protection is gone and your enemies are near, if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake, break, and fall, if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all, rise up, no matter if the prize is high in the skies. And welcome to New Abolitionist Radio, a program that seeks to educate, inform, and agitate an issue of 21st century legalized slavery. Hosted by social activist and spoken word poet Max Parthas with Black Talk Media Project founder Scott Reed and West Coast abolitionist and activist Layla Aziz. Layla is at a meeting tonight and will be rejoining us next week, January 10th. On this weekly broadcast, we discuss recent news on legalized 21st century slavery and human trafficking as it is allowed through the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution, along with projects and people who help combat. If you want to know about the new abolitionist movement, what it is and what it's about, this is officially the place to start. As of today, we begin streaming from newabolitionistmovement.com. This is the January 3rd, 2018 broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio, our six-year broadcasting. We are the voices screaming in the wilderness during a season of profound silence. On this day, January 3rd, 1624, according to records, William Tucker was the first person of African ancestry born in the 13 colonies. His birth symbolized the beginnings of a distinct African-American identity along the eastern coast of what would eventually become the United States. As usual, there is more information available than we could hope to cover in one period. So hang tight, call a few friends to tune in, and we'll do our best to make sense of it all from an abolitionist perspective. Our abolitionist in profile tonight is John Mercer Langston, 1829 to 1897. In the segment, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion, we tell of Operation Push, scheduled for this January 15th of 2018, on Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday, Florida's 97,000 state prison inmates are declaring a statewide prison slave labor shutdown, rebelling against the machine with an effort aimed at crippling the prison system with non-cooperation in the spirit of Martin Luther King Jr. Our rider of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Lamont McIntyre, who was wrongfully imprisoned in the state of Kansas for 23 years. He was exonerated for being wrongfully imprisoned on October 13, 2017, and has yet to receive any help or compensation. Got a question or a comment? You can call us toll-free 
at 866-510-9025. You can chat with us and others by logging in at uberconference.com slash blacktalkradionetwork. Once again, I'm Max Parthas, and welcome to 2018. What's happening, Brother Scotty? Hey, Max, doing the best I can, man. You you had to bear with me because I'm kind of losing my voice. Uh, this weather been changing up, and, and um, I'm not sick. I'm not going to say I'm sick, but I'm recovering. And so if I sound a little hoarse or something like that, that's the reason why. Um, but I'm, I know doing the feeling, best, bro. I'm doing the best I can. And as I told somebody else the other day, and they agreed with me that we're doing a whole lot better than people in prison slavery. So what what am I going to complain about, you know, in terms of my personal life? So I'm doing great in regards to what we talk about on this program. And both of us have grandchildren. I imagine a lot of the listeners have grandchildren and It's just time out for slavery in 2018, you know what I'm saying? It's never been a time for it, and we just, man, we just got to get this thing done, and I'm confident we'll get it done. Now, don't anybody misquote me and say and go out there and say, hey, New Abolitionist Radio says slavery will be abolished in 2018. Now, we can agree on that and put some spiritual power behind that, but we also better make sure we're ready to get out there and put the work in as well. So um, just looking forward to another year, hoping it'll be the last year because that means slavery has ended. Yes, yes. We have said that on more than one occasion, bro. We don't want to do this. We would love the opportunity to say, you know what, it's all done. You don't need us no more because everybody's talking about it and it, it's being fought and, you know, uh, it has been beaten and it's done. We would love to say that, but unfortunately, that's not the case. Like I said in the beginning, we're like the voices in the wilderness. Until recently, you barely heard a peep from anywhere about this. And uh, now we're starting to see the buzz growing bigger and bigger. But, you know, they're trying to dilute a lot of it. They tried to co-opt it. I mean, Scotty, how many movements have you and I seen come and go since we've been doing this? Like, And I'm doing the quote, air quote thing. How many movements have you seen? Um... Probably two. Probably two. Uh, well, maybe, maybe I'm I'm saying it in the wrong way, but you know, movement is something that is it's a word that's used very loosely for a lot of things. Like they have the Me Too movement going on, right? right and then they had right. the safety pin movement going on, right. and uh, then they had the pink hat movement going on, and then right. the women's movement was going on. And I mean, just so many different movements have stood up, did their thing, and then stood down. Yeah, that's true. Hands up, don't shoot movement. Come on, man. It's like been so many of them. In the meantime, we're still here focused on that same thing that we started at. Uh, We want to deal with the root causes. We don't want to be here all the time talking about how bad it hurts and how terrible it is and how this and how that when we know what the problem is. And the problem can be solved one way or another. History has shown us that we need all of us together working on this at least to a very large degree. Scotty, you said earlier that you're doing better than the people who are in modern-day slavery behind these prison lines. But, you know, that might even be a matter of opinion based on some of the stuff that I've seen. Like, I'm looking right now at a flyer that comes from Seal Beach uh, at .gov. It's a government flyer that says, Seal Beach Detention Center, why spend your jail sentence 
of 365 days or less at county. We offer the following amenities, work release, flat screen TVs, computer and media, RM, clean facility, new beds. For more information, please contact Corporal P. Gonshack or Detention Center staff. And then they give their telephone number to Seal Beach, which is the prison hotel, apparently, if you can afford it. Where is this? This is in uh, California. Uh, it's one of the stories that I want to go over tonight. Man, that sounds, that, that sounds pretty suspect to me. Uh, but it's not something we haven't heard before. You know, because how often have we heard a running joke about uh, um, certain white-collar criminals spend prison at the Met or something like that? You know, it's Club Met and, and what have you. So, hey, nothing would surprise me because the private prison industry, and I would suspect that that's a private prison company, right? And and so, you know, they're booming right now, Max. They're booming. They're, they're experiencing uh, probably unprecedented growth in terms of investments and, and profits. And, and I'm telling you, man, many people's economic plan is slavery. But they're not gonna be the one behind the bar, so nothing surprised me. But that's quite—that's just troubling, man. Well, this story's from last year, actually, so it's still going on and probably expanded by now. And it comes from the L.A. Times, uh, so I would suspect that they have checked their facts to a very large degree. And and it's really bad. It says, uh, for instance, Seal Beach's pay-to-stay program generates more revenue than any other city in L.A. and Orange Counties. A review of records shows in the fiscal year ending last June, Seal Beach took in $365,000 from paying inmates, making up close to half of the jail's total budget of $766,000. The city received 24% more pay-to-stay revenue than Anaheim, the second most lucrative facility in the Times Marshall Project Review. Pay-to-stay, like you making hotel reservations. Yeah, and advertising it in flyers saying to come to, you know, uh, sealbeach.gov and check us out. You know, we got uh, maids and we uh, take the garbage out twice a day. You could smoke on the facilities. and You know, it's just ridiculous. When they started charging people who they deemed criminals, then, of course, they created a, a, a standard where if you have enough money, you can pay for something better. You don't have to be in there with them crazy criminals and poor people. You can come on over here to the uh, Cafe La Seal Beach and you know stay with the fifty-four inch television. But they, it was was really troubling about that. It ha- it can't operate without cooperation from the state. So, man, and and I'm sure it didn't. It did not just launch in 2016, did it? Do you? Does the article say how long it's been around? I would like to um, ask Kamala Harris a question about what she knows about that. Yeah, right. There was a lot going on in California under Kamala Harris's watch. That's for sure. It says from 2011 through 2015, people convicted of crimes involving violence, threats of violence, or sex-related offenses made up more than 16% of the Seal Beach's jail, 326 paying customers. That was a higher proportion than any other city with a significantly sized program. It housed twice as many inmates inmates convicted of assault, sex crimes, battery, domestic violence, or robbery compared with Anaheim, 
which is more than 10 times its size. Hmm. Man, this is like if you got the money and you're a killer or abuser or a rapist or a child molester, I just you don't get them this money and you can end up there. That's not equal protection under the law. Meaning that if I can't afford to go there, then I don't get the protections that's being afforded to being in such a nice place. You know what I'm saying? I, I would have to look do more study into that. It's an interesting story for sure. Yeah, and it's an indicator of, of the idea that our Justice Department follows market values. Like, they're not really interested in justice. It's how can this thing be self-perpetuating and right. growing all the time? You don't just walk into a government office as a private prison contractor and say, look, we want to guarantee that for the next 25 years, this prison we're building right here or providing for you right here is going to be filled as much as 100%. For the next 25 years. They actually have contracts like that. Hmm. So, Scotty, uh, it is a new year, man. Um, what is it that you're going to be focusing on this year? Um, same thing I've been focusing on since I discovered that slavery was never abolished. So, <laughs> are, are you expanding any anyway, or focusing on the particular targets or anything like that? Because for me, I have decided on at least a couple of new things that I'm going to try, or or changing tactics, or something like that. Well, we launched newabolitionistmovement.com, and the only reason I chose .com was because .org wasn't available, .net wasn't available, because I don't want to call them fake abolitionists. But they ain't addressing prison slavery. They addressing something that's already been made illegal. And they're just about rescuing people, but not the people who have been duly convicted and sentenced to a, a slavery stint in a prison or jail. And and so I created that platform. Actually, I should restate that. I launched the platform. It isn't all the way done in February of 2017. But because Black Talk Radio Network and, and stuff related to Black Talk Radio Network just keeps me all tied up, I haven't been able to develop it. So I said this year, the first broadcast of New Abolitionist Radio, just start putting content on there. And so my, yes. I want to focus more on building the abolitionist movement and and also... Yeah, when I say building, expanding it. For example, there was a conversation had on the radio program, the uh, Tando Radio, that came on before. And the comment was made about there's a certain type of people in this country that don't look like us, Max, who have no idea that things are happening to them as a group because of media propaganda and what have you, and they think it's just happening to other groups. But I, I plan to, to grow this movement and expanding it by exposing that this is happening to everybody. This is of impacting everybody. I'm talking about slavery and human trafficking. And so, like, for example, I saw a story today, Max, just to give you an example. A Bush, I mean, excuse me, I said Bush. 
A Trump supporter got shot over 200. Well, I ain't going to say he got shot over 200 times, but they fired more than 200 rounds. It looks like a retired man. He certainly was like probably in his 60s and whatnot. And I'm still sourcing the detail. But this is a Trump supporter. This is a Trump supporter. It was published to a YouTube channel that I follow. And what was troubling to me in the comments section was somebody blamed that on Antifa. This is what happened. You, do you remember last week hearing a story about the online gamers getting angry at each other over a bet, and one of them gave a fake address, and the other one sent the squad mate put in a call to the police and said, "Hey, this man has shot somebody, killed somebody, and holding other people hostage at this address." And then the squad got there, and they Tamir Rice, the first person that answered the door when they knocked on the door, they Tamir Rice them, meaning that he was shot within seconds. Now. <clears throat> Excuse me, this person is this is what happened to this this white Trump supporter, white male, looked like he elderly white male. He he got squatted, as, as they say. And then they fired over two hundred and something rounds at him. And so what was troubling to me in the comment section was they try to blame it on Antifa. A, a person in the commenter commenting saying Antifa did this. Antifa did this. They've been doing this. And I ain't never heard that. But the fact that tells me something, the fact that you ain't even blaming the people that shot him. You looking to blame some group that that says it focuses on racism and white supremacy. Isn't that what anti-fascists, isn't that a part of what they focus on is white supremacy? So you're going to blame Antifa, but you're not going to blame the slave catchers. So that says something to me, Max, in terms of propaganda. So I plan to focus on making more propaganda, not so much, and again, you know, the new abolitionist movement is already diverse, but not that I'm trying to pull them into us, but just to let, just to point out the facts that, look, you out here getting gunned down in the, uh, gunned down by these slave catchers, what you gonna do? Huh? You gonna sit up here and just keep letting these slave catchers put that boot on y'all neck. Y'all talk a good game about freedom and liberty, but I don't see y'all actually fighting for it. And even in the uh, cases where they're shooting, gunning you down down in the street. So, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to do everything I can to to get people to focus on, on that problem of slavery in this country. And, you know, of course, slave catching is a related symptom with the brutality and all that. So... I ain't mean to drone on, Max. I understand where you're coming from, brother, and I'm happy that we have the uh, new abolitionistmovement.com. That's pretty awesome. So we can start providing content down there from all different sources. Uh, that That is going to be amazing. So we'll help. Also, Max, I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Also, it's a strategic thing, too. Because Black Talk, strategic now. Black Talk Radio Network is suffering right now. Uh, BIE was mentioned on the last program. Black Identity Extremists. All right. So we was getting a small amount of funds from Google Ads. Um, it might only been 150, 200 every three months. Nothing big, you know. Um, it wasn't nobody really clicking on Google Ads or anything like that. So we wasn't bringing in a whole bunch of rent, but it paid the bill. And when you don't have much coming in, every penny, you feel it. 
when when that's taken out the budget. And that happened when that BIE report came out. And so I feel like, again, we're not leaving Black Talk Radio Network. This is where it was born. But in terms of the abolitionist movement trying to be strategic and, and so they can't labor, oh, this is a BIE movement. No, it's not. It's an abolitionist movement. I, I think that's a brilliant move, and it's the right thing to do. <clears throat> it is, because it does affect everyone. Uh, there is no one in this nation, and really now the way it looks is abroad as well, who are not touched by this prison-for-profit model that's been duplicated worldwide. I mean, it blows my mind when I think that Turkey just recently declared that they're going to be building uh, nearly 200 new prisons for dissidents. <laughs> like, And they're not doing it because of the people who are wrong. They're doing it because this is how they create an economic boom using slavery. <laughs> but Max, that did Amazing. not so blow anyway, my mind. That did but, not blow my mind as much as seeing that video of them prisoners in Uganda and them talking about how they those prisoners produce a half a billion dollars in cotton every year. Yes. Yes, exactly. Which is also reflective of one of the images we use for tonight's program with the uh, Georgia uh, Board of Corrections is sitting there in a cotton plant plantation, Department of Corrections. It's got maybe a dozen officers. It's like three or four. Looks like black women. And then the uh, majority is all white. Might be one or Hispanic or two. It's hard to tell from just visually looking. But they're sitting right there in a damn cotton field. Like, you know, it's, nobody decided this is the wrong thing to do. I mean, you know, we could be in a cotton field and we need to get out of it before we take this picture. <laughs> That's called trolling, Max. That's what they're doing. They're trolling. They may they may have heard as we read that article from the Daily Caller when they were talking about one of the members of uh, uh, the FAM group, uh, uh, Free Alabama Movement, and they remember because <laughs> you told me to keep uh, you was gonna make it your ringtone or something. Dude said it was yeah. a conspiracy theory that slavery was never <laughs> abolished. So there are people outside. Of us, they know slavery was never. I look at that photo as trolling, dog. Troll. Why else would you be sitting out? Why would the Department of Correction board be sitting out in a cotton field in Georgia? Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's like, man, the, the picture. If a picture is worth a thousand, uh, what what is a a picture's worth, picture's a, thousand worth words, a thousand words? That one's worth a million. You know, as a poet, I have some disputes with that statement, but, you know, it's the same, nonetheless. If they are doing something like trolling, then that's really some evil, low-down, dirty stuff to do. And then it also calls into question, you got these people, three women of color, at least three, sitting right there in the front, in the center row. Like, uh, did you, were you okay with this? Like, you didn't think, you thought this was perfectly fine, just as a person of color. You know, maybe you might want to say something about that. But nonetheless, they took it. So that's sick, man. That is really sick. So, you know, it's really important this year that we get our act together and we get some solid things done. We get some institutions built. We get some laws written. We get an amendment altered <laughs> or changed. Um, I mean, some serious things done within the United States of America and, and abroad. So some of the things that are on my list this year is uh, 
And basically, I, I, I guess you could call it is the 2018 abolitionist agenda. You've been hearing about it right here tonight with Scotty and myself talking about it. And we're talking about things not only that we came up with, but we're talking with other abolitionists all over the world and all over the country. In any case, um, one of the things we need to do is, as I said, we need to have a multi-state attack where, since we know that at least two dozen states have exception clauses of their own in their state constitutions, we can try to move to maybe remove at least six of them simultaneously in a voter initiative. I would love to see this thing come together, and I'd like to be a part of it, but I've been going through some personal issues, Scotty, which, as you know, right now, and I'm trying to overcome. In any case, we need to get that done anyway. It needs to happen whether I'm in it or Sky's in it or somebody else is in it. Here's an idea. Run with it. We have had Amendment T uh, and other efforts to remove exception clauses from state constitutions like in Colorado, and it was nearly successful. So I think now is the time. The time is ripe to do it, not only in one place, but in half a dozen places at the same time. This will give everyone the opportunity to present their case, and that's really the important part. Why do you want this exception clause taken out of your state constitution? Is your state practicing slavery and human trafficking? Are they exploiting free labor through prisoners? Do their arrest rates directly reflect their requirements of revenue? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like You get to tell people what this is all about, and we can do it in a multi-state uh, way. Another thing I'm trying to do, and I've already begun, is I'm killing Lincoln. I want to resurrect Lincoln and then reassassinate him. Like we need to kill the image of what this man did and what he's about because a lot of people pin their beliefs about slavery yes. and how it ended on the fact that they think the story of Lincoln is true and it couldn't be further from the truth. Lincoln was a white racist supremacist. How I mean, he loved black people like some people love their pets. That's how the kind of relationship he 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 had and he also felt like Slavery was wrong, but he could control it. This was the guy who told uh, his opponent at the time, like, I ain't got no, uh, no, no, there's no, nothing in me that wants to end slavery. So if you think that the South has a problem like that, where I'm going to come in and try to end slavery, you can forget it. That's basically what he told uh, his opponent. I mean, he instead, had to be doing we're going to restrict serious. it. And the restriction was, of course, using prison leasing, convict leasing. He so had... that's... uh. Go ahead, Scotty. Yeah, he had to be telling some serious lies behind closed doors to abolitionists because oh. the Republican Party launched as an abolitionist party. I don't know if people know that, that but it yes. was formed by abolitionists to end slavery, and, and they formed a political party. So to pick this guy, for this guy to get the nomination, he had to be doing some serious lying, man, you know, and and so it, it's just, but I agree. Malcolm X taught me the pro power of propaganda, the power of media. When we say media, I'm talking about propaganda because everything that conveys an ideal, that conveys a message, is propaganda. Whether or not that propaganda is 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 how can I put this just or unjust. It, well, you know, you have to you have to make that determination, but that image of Lincoln as the great so-called liberator, the great mm -hmm. emancipator, mm -hmm. the man who freed the quote-unquote slaves, man, that's one one hundred and fifty-year-old propaganda program that has to be combated. 
It has to be combated. And right. and I'm just sorry that Ava DuVernay and the team of directors that worked with them that they couldn't find out a way to kill Lincoln's image in that film 13th too. <laughs> right, right. You know, we, we got to get control of the narrative. We can't have this major blockage in people's cognitive uh, acceptance called Lincoln. Like, you know, well, what about Lincoln? I thought Lincoln didn't he, matter of fact, isn't this the anniversary of the Emancipation Proclamation just two days ago, which it was, didn't he free the slaves with the 13th Amendment? And even some of our scholars would go probably go so far as to say even the anti-slavery society decided to disband because they were so certain that slavery were, was over. Uh, William Lloyd Garrison proposed that in 1865, just based on the strength that enough states had ratified that amendment. But Scotty. Anyway, man, I, I had a brain fart. Let me bring it back to what I was uh, talking about a little bit earlier about some things. You, you were talking about, Max, the things for 2018 that you were focusing on. Say again, Scotty? You were talking about in 2018 some of the Lincoln. things you were focused on. Yes. So Killing Lincoln is one of them. And the, one of the other things uh, is what we also can do together. Because like I said, this year we got to get some stuff done. So I put together a five-point checklist that you as an individual, like each of us can just do this. It's so simple. It doesn't take a lot of work, but it's five things that can make all the difference in the world. So one of them is not knowingly purchasing goods or services from companies that use prison slave labor. Now, you can simply Google companies that use prison slave labor and get a very extensive list and make yourself aware of these companies and consciously don't go and purchase goods and services from them, like AT&T and McDonald's and places that we know, uh, like Walmart even, you know? So that's the first thing. The second thing is I will divest any personal finances, retirement, 401k, et cetera, from private prison stocks. First of all, if you have these things, uh, retirement programs and 401ks and stock investments, find out if any of your money is being invested into private prisons. And there are call letters you can look for, like GX, I believe, is one of them. But I may be mistaken. In any case, it's easy to find out the information on that. So check and see if you're invested in stocks. If you are, then demand that your money be taken out of those investments. Don't support modern-day slavery. Three, make donations to groups, people, and organizations addressing the 13th Amendment slavery issue because it's not a lot of us. Like, we're really driving this agenda with just a small percentage of people who are really standing up and seeing this thing clearly and making so much of a difference. And we need help, not just here at uh, Black Talk Radio at newabolitionistmovement.com, uh, but there's other organizations like the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Coalition that could use the help right now, okay? Uh, and number four, and this one is important, I spent all of 2017 driving this home, no longer call slavery mass incarceration. By changing your language, you change your perspective. I'm trying to tell you as a poet, that's how it works, okay? And you change, change the other words people's you perspective. And you change your perspective. And you say, change, say again, Scotty? You change other people's perspective as well. Hey, what are you talking about right. slavery? Slavery was abolished. Didn't you hear about Lincoln? <laughs> and then that's opened up the dialogue. And you know what happened is every time you have the opportunity to say mass incarceration and you replace it with slavery, it's going to piss you off. You, you're just not going to want to spit it out your mouth because slavery is wrong. 
And it should feel like that. And the more you have to say it, the more you should want to fight it. Anyway, the last one is support Black-owned media platforms and Black businesses with my dollars and time. I'm going to try to do that even more so. And and we all need to do that, not just for racial uh, issues, but because, you know, we need the the help right now. Like, you just been talking recently, Scotty, about the conversations with uh, Yvette Carnell and Antonio Moore about black economics. We need help right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? So help us out. Send in, uh, buy, your, buy your goods and services from different black uh, organizations. Uh, support black media helps. Even if you're just sharing a show like this, it makes a difference. You know, our voices, voices are worthy of being heard, too. And we also require resources. And some of these talking heads need to bring their behinds over here and tell their stories, like uh, Mr. Cornell West <laughs> and Mr. Coates. If you, I mean, you want to talk, come on Black Talk Radio and let's talk. Come on New Abolitionist Radio and let's talk. Come start that a radio is, program. You can hey. handle the hard questions. Start a radio program. Can they can start a radio program. Issue a podcast. Right, right. I mean, that's that's how we could. That's the type of real support we could use. If you're out there and you you have this type of following, bring it on home. Help create institutions that last. The same thing with us building our own social network, community.blacktalkradionetwork.com. That's an institution that will help drive these things and, and finance these things and keep everything going and give people the opportunity to be heard. So we need your help on that. And that's my five things for the New Year's that I'm planning on doing. Um, and again, I want to reiterate, we need to get some real things done this year. Not saying we didn't last year, because last year was epic. <laughs> Scotty, was it epic? It was freaking epic, right? Yes. It will be a very Man. memorable year for me, if not just for the people I was able to meet physically and come together with in Washington, D.C. and have a successful event like that, you know? So to meet Yousef, uh, to meet Crystal, um, to meet uh, Tag, who I had been working with for a couple of years but never had the opportunity to meet him, to meet Brother Jihad, to meet... Um, 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 uh, brother Albert Woodfox to meet Robert King, who I interviewed but never met, you know, and then for us to come on one accord mostly, you know, because we did have a local person there who was talking about some mass incarceration crap, and but for the most part, um, 90, I would say 90% of the speakers talked about ending slavery. But uh, Max, there is one more thing for two, 2018 that I failed to mention. And it's specific to this year because this is a voting year, okay? And one of the things I ask people to make a pledge to do, and I don't care, I don't want to hear that you don't vote. Okay, you don't vote. But you can put pressure on that politician by calling him. He don't know you don't vote. or Well, they might look it up. But he don't know, He, he just call these politicians, these candidates that's running for office and push the abolition of prison slavery on, just make them make it part of their platform. Pretty much what we were able to do in 2017 with members of the Green Party um, in South Carolina. 
we got to make that part, we got to make these politicians talk about it. You know, I'm reminded of Jeff, that's his name, right, That the last Green Party member that ran. Was was his name, Max? Uh, David Coma. I'm David sorry. Coma. David Coma. Forgive me, David. And how he said when he was participating in those debates with the Republicans and the Democrats, and I think this happened in Charleston, and he talked about slavery. He didn't talk about mass incarceration. He didn't. He didn't give it some some you know name that isn't. Um, he said slavery, and he talked to us about how the crowd was really receptive to that. But then that cognitive dissonance <laughs> sunk in, and when they went to the voting booth, they either voted Republican or Democrat and didn't vote for the abolitionists. So yeah, right, right. So. That's something that was one of the epic things this year that we were all involved in. You got them. I think that was your first time in many years out there as a speaker, right? Yes, yes, yes. So um, it, a lot of things happened in, in 2017 um, that we we can um, say, hey, we did that. We made that happen. And it wasn't a total waste. We weren't just beating our head up against the wall. And for all those that couldn't be there, that gave donations to make it, make it happen. So we know you was there in spirit, but guess what? We wouldn't have been there if not for you. So thank you. But but that's exactly. that's one of the things Max is is I'm calling every state rep that's running for office, whether they already in office and running again or and their challengers and I'm challenging them to make abolition a part of their platform. Well, 2017 was certainly epic, uh, particularly for my wife and my family and I. Uh, you know, Scotty, we celebrated our 30th year together, our 30th anniversary, which is like, you know, monumental. I don't care if I never did anything else in my life. I can stand here and proudly say I've been with the same woman faithfully for 30 years. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, I can say that. That's just an accomplishment. It is. Uh, our daughter survived cancer. Uh, our son survived prison. And lived to, we lived to fight another day. Uh, we received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Spoken Word uh, community uh, in 2017. Several times I've spoken as, <clears throat> at human rights conferences and been allowed to uh, be the voice for the abolitionist movement at certain, uh, certain airings of Avery DuVernay's The 13th, where I would come in and explain to them the abolitionist perspective of that. I thought that was wonderful, particularly in places like Ohio. So it's been an epic year. Chronic, us, uh, I forgot about artists, Chronic. Spoken word artist and as abolitionists. I forgot about Chronic 2017. Right, Chronic 2017, the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March on Washington uh, and uh, here in South Carolina and as our revolution. And we've reached a lot of people. I remember when uh, Sister Hannah X out in Ohio had that uh, discussion with Sean King publicly. <laughs> you know, they had the panel in Ohio, and she was like, okay, what are you guys doing about modern-day slavery? And he had to mess up on it. You know, the problem is, she's right. She's an abolitionist, and we should all be abolitionists, but nobody's really listening. It's like that, like you said, Scotty, the cognitive dissonance. There's something wrong with your brain <laughs> that you can't even think about this. Is this slavery? Does the 13th Amendment allow for it? Is it being practiced all over the country? Are people really being put in the cages for profit and control? 
are they using them for free, free labor, making commercial goods or providing uh, free labor for the government or free services? Are they doing it? If the answer to that is yes, then you need to think about this. It's what so, you said, Yeah, he Max. said that's the problem, his circle. Max, it's, it's, it's something that you had mentioned before, and you said, you know, all of these people that's put out DVDs on one particular topic, and they don't want to acknowledge slavery and abolition as a solution, you know, uh, uh, to some of the problems is because they just don't want to recognize that they've been asleep on, sleeping on this because they think they so woke, you know? And, and so I, I right. just think that we don't want to stop having our Juneteenth celebrations, talking about the end of slavery. We'll have to stop those if we acknowledge this slavery was never abolished. No, you don't have to stop them, but you can come together and say, hey, we were lied to on that day. And so we, we you know, there is an abolitionist movement and then have abolitionist speakers. I think that has something right. to do with it, Max. They been believe sometimes we believe a lie for so long that we don't want to admit that we were suckers. I tell you, when I first read the Thirteenth Amendment, I had no problem recognizing that. Darn, I'm in my, I'm about to turn fifty. <laughs> I didn't know this, and I prided myself on being a reader and being pretty knowledgeable, and and I didn't know this. Wow. I think that's part of it, Max. Yeah, we all get our click moment, you know, where it hits you and you just realize, like, you already knew all along, but for some reason it was a little piece of thing you were missing. And then when that thing is provided, it just comes into crashing clarity. And I've seen people go through all five stages of mourning dealing with this type of betrayal. Like, it's bigger than you ever imagined and worse than you ever thought. So uh, we all come to that uh, understanding one way or another. With you, it was reading the 13th Amendment. With me, it was Angela Davis. Angela Davis was the one that inspired me. She gave me my click moment when she broke it down for me. And uh, that was uh, about a decade ago. Actually, I have the clip of Angela Davis uh, giving the speech that was the catalyst for me becoming an abolitionist. <laughs> you know, if you weren't, we could play it and let the listeners hear it too and those outside. I mean, I think yeah, it would affect other at? people like it affected me if you hear it. Where is it? Uh, it's on New Abolitionist Radio and I also put it in the chat room, the link for YouTube in our chat room so you can find it quickly there as well. Okay, let me uh, pull that up. So it's Angela Davis discusses prison industrial complex. It's only a few minutes long, uh, but I had already known everything she was telling me. I just hadn't put it together like that. And the first thing that I said when I heard her say uh, we need a 21st century uh, abolitionist movement was, you know what? We also need a place to call freedom, to go for freedom, a a north to go to, because we didn't have that. We still don't have it. One of the reasons why the prison industrial complex has expanded as it has is because we have learned how to forget about prisons, even if they're in our own neighborhoods, even if we have relatives and friends in prison. And if you look in communities of color, almost everybody knows someone who is there or has been there, but we don't know how to talk about it. We don't integrate 
um, ideas about what is going on in these places in our daily conversation. We don't teach about uh, the prison system. It's almost as if what this society does, first of all, is gets rid of the people who have the problems, people who have drug problems, you know, rather than recognizing that they are hurting themselves and they need some help. They need someone to help them. Rather than recognizing that, they just send them to prison. And the majority of women who are in prison are in there in relation to drug-related charges, right? And non-violent drug-related charges. So the idea is just, just send them to prison. Throw them away. Get rid of them. And if you get rid of them, then we don't have to think about them. And if we don't have to think about them, then we don't have to think about the problems that they have. So we don't really have to address the issue of drugs, which would require us also to talk about pharmaceutical companies. So I guess what I want to suggest that, that we all do is figure out ways of making these issues visible. And for people who have relatives or friends in prison, don't be ashamed of it. Because of the way the criminal is constructed, represented, many of us are even afraid to admit that we know someone who could be that kind of a person. But prisoners are like you and me. I mean, yeah, there's some pretty bad people in prison, but there's some pretty bad people who are not in prison. <laughs> Over one-third of all young black men in this country in prison. Now, something is wrong with that. Don't you think? What I want to suggest is that there is a reason why Increasing numbers of people of color and women as well. Because ever larger numbers of women are going to prison. There's a lot of real crime and not only the people who are, are uh, represented as criminals are the ones responsible for that crime. I mean, we can talk about corporate crime as well. I mean, we can talk about crimes against the environment that will affect generations to come. But of course, these people, these people generally only pay fines if they do that, right? You know, how do we create contact between the inside and the outside? Between prison and what prisons, prisoners call the free world. Prisoners see us as living in the free world. I don't know how free this world is, because it certainly isn't free for a lot of people who are out here. But at least we can take advantage of the fact that, that we have the ability to move around in ways that people who are inside don't. As a matter of fact, we can sort of think about the relationship as being um, the relationship between slaves and abolitionists. And because as a matter of fact, the prison system contains obvious vestiges of slavery. 
Right? The 13th Amendment abolished slavery for all except those who are being punished for committing a crime. So in a lot of ways, what we see in the penitentiary system in this country is the continuation of the system of slavery. And that is why many of us suggest that what we need during this period is a late, 19, um, a late 20th century abolitionist movement as there was a 19th century abolitionist movement. The question is creating some new institutions, institutions that really will speak to the problems that people have who go to prison, you know, rather than this prison system which continues to re, um, reproduce the problems you know, for which people are sent to prison. One, one set of institutions consists of educational institutions. Um, it costs much more to send someone to prison than it does to college or university. And many of those people who are now in prison would do well, would do well in an institution like this, would do better than a lot of the existing students. Think about prisoners as human beings who have a right to participate in the, the efforts that perhaps will uh, you know, lead to, to change. So I want to, you know, suggest the possibility of classes. I used to teach a class on incarcerated women at San Francisco State University. And I took a number of the students from San Francisco State into the San Francisco County Jail. Um, because I taught a class at the San Francisco County Jail as well. And uh, one would think that, okay, you know, perhaps the students should teach the prisoners. But I decided to reverse it. I decided that the first phase would be for the students to learn from the prisoners. So the prisoners were positioned as the teachers, and they taught the students about uh, that institution, what went on there, what the problems were. So the convict lease system was, you know, prisoners, legitimate workforce, right? They're prisoners, so... so the convict lease system, in, in essence, it was the, the, the primer and the precursor to what we know now as the private prison corporation, the private prison industry. Prisons is booming. Private industry. You can own one yourself. You can pick a town, build one, and own one. Private. What do you think they're doing with prisons? They're making, they making everything that's in this room they're making in the prison. They making shit you ain't even seen before in the prison. They cut up your meat, your meat. If you eat chicken down south, Winn Dixie, Piggly Wiggly, your your chicken and your beef is getting cut up in the meat in the factory. They make toys upstate. They making toys. They make your little race cars for your kids. They make everything. You know, I've been in jail. My brothers is in jail. They make license plates. They make tables. They make engines to car. They make every thing that you see on the streets in the penitentiary, and they get crumbs for that shit. The white folks is manufacturing the businesses in warehouse. That's all that shit is. It's a clock in, clock. You come out, you work, and, 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 and shit. you make us some license plates. You make us some some tires. You make us some rims. You make speaker boxes. They make all that shit in the penitentiary, man. From dishes to mother to, to covers. If you mean to tell me these people can make an unbiased decision whether or not when you go to the parole board whether to let their free labor go or not, of course they're going to say, oh yeah, hit them, give them two more years, yeah. The private prison corporations go to the legislators and say, we're going to solve your overcrowding problem. We have a prison built already and you just need to give us the bodies and give us 
a sum of money per head per day. Okay, so it is this immaculate conception and partnership between the private and the public sector to perpetuate the system of modern-day slavery. If jails become businesses, what do you have to do? You have to market for your business. And 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 who are you market? Who are, I mean, me being a business major, you have to have your you have to have your target audiences. And who are your target audiences? My people. These people are coming home, and they're coming home worse. These people you're incarcerating, you're not teaching them nothing because Pataki took away college in 1995. He took away college from, 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 from the prison system. So these people can't come home and, and with, with college degrees, so they're coming home worse than when they went in. So what you're really doing is you're really putting shit on pancakes, corn and syrup. All right, Scotty. You there? Yes, I'm here, Max. I mean, uh, what what more can you say, man? What more can you say? But um, Sister Angela Davis, we we I'm so proud to say that there is an abolitionist movement in this 21st going into this 21st century, and I mean just to hear from those victims of modern day slavery telling you. Now, think about this. Think about this. The other day, and I actually put out a, a little short um, podcast the other day, Donald Trump said that he is changing up the H-1B visa program that allows workers to come up from mostly India and work in the tech sector. And he was saying that it's supposed to go to high-profile jobs, making a whole lot of money, and not what they might call these entry-level or mid-level positions. That should be going to Americans and what have you. But that doesn't even speak to the fact that I can't get a job making license plates. Nobody in my community can get a job making license plates. Why? Because there's no civilian factory in this area making civilian li- a light. I mean, making license plates. Why? Why would they hire us out here in in the community to do the work when they got a cheap labor force right there under their control. I mean, again, Kamala Harris, this is cognitive dissonance. This woman, so what? I don't give a damn about her skin color. So what? She black. I don't care if she went to a HBCU. What I do care about is that she argued her office argued to the Supreme Court when they said overcrowding in California is cruel and unusual punishment and is in violation of the Eighth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And she said, I'm, let me put this out there right, it didn't come out of her mouth, it came out the mouths of her lackeys that was in there arguing the case and said, well, what would we do for cheap labor? This is slavery, people. This ain't no mass incarceration. This is slavery. Slavery was never abolished. They got these prisoners doing everything from A to Z. And a lot. Everything. 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 And I just don't see how this is not at the top of your list of things to talk about. 
of things to study. If you want to dismantle something, if you're studying something to dismantle it, how is, how is slavery? Unbroke people, we were four, we was 400 years in slavery. No, you wasn't because you're still in it. So when we going to end this Holocaust is what I want to know. And you know how we sound, Scotty. Like We're like, look, you need to end slavery. That's the freaking problem and the solution all at the same time. And people are like, well, I don't know because, you know, we might lose our jobs and we have all these problems. Well, can you at least divest? <laughs> Could you at least not buy this product? Idaho potatoes because it's made by prisoners from beginning to end. Could you at least at least not support McDonald's because their uniforms are made by prison slave labor? Could you not go to Starbucks because you know the little cup holder things? That's prisoners that's making that. I mean, we can you take your money? Things. Can you when take you your money? And can you take your money out of Wells Fargo? Can you take your money out of Bank of America? Do you not think you could find a little credit union or a farmer's bank or something that isn't putting your deposits towards underwriting private prison industries? Can can you not do that? Is that too much to ask? Is that going to inconvenience you too much? We're just asking for like, just just take that baby step forward. That's all you got to just begin. First, stop calling mass incarceration. Start saying slavery. Take your money out of these investments, uh, prison stock or jail bond investments. Take your money out. You don't need your money in there. Don't spend your money at these places that use prison slave labor. I mean, it's it's not that hard. Vote and no. one day it all adds up to end slavery. <laughs> Vote no on yeah, the next vote. time they was- talk about a prison or jail bond. Can you turn out to vote and say no? That was a huge disappointment for me this year because in 2017, we were blessed to be a part of at least four different campaigns where candidates ran on an abolitionist platform. They, I mean, they were uh, brave people because you, you know, you've got to stand up and talk about this thing like you know what you're talking about and people will question you and they did that uh, perfectly, and they still didn't get a voter turnout. Like people just didn't care. Like hey, slavery. So uh, what about? It? Nah, that's not slavery. You know, uh, one of the ideas that people have been led to believe is that if you're in prison, you deserve to be there. If you're in jail, you must have did something wrong. Isn't that the saying, Scotty? Uh, don't do the crime if you can't do the time. Meaning that anybody who crosses foot uh, over those thresholds are automatically guilty. <laughs> there is no innocent, no proven guilty, it's just guilty. But what they may not be aware of is that most people are in jail, 95% of them, predominantly minorities, because they can't afford to bail. <laughs> because that's the only reason. Yeah, you can't afford to bail. Yeah. And that's an Eighth Amendment violation. Yeah. Right there. That's a constant Eighth Amendment violation. So in the news right now, Scotty, we have uh, people like Kamala Harris talking about bail reform and people like the governor of New York, Cuomo, talking about bail reform. But uh, then nobody's talking about Eighth Amendment violations because, see, that requires that you have somebody to prosecute, somebody who did the wrong thing and it was unconstitutional and they should be held accountable. And that's the part they don't want to deal with. Because, see, in our world, Kamala Harris might be facing jail time. In our world, uh, 
Christopher Epps would be in prison right now. In our world, all of these people out here who are directly involved in the prison industrial complex and willingly investing their money and making money and creating these contracts that guarantee 25 years of 100% occupancy need to be held accountable for slavery and human trafficking. And that's a big problem. That's the fear right there. Well, I'd go all the way up to the head of the Department of Justice, Jeff Sessions. His ass need to be facing the same prison time everybody else is facing, even though he's only got a little bit of his money invested in it compared to, you know, his millions. He's got like $40,000 of his own money invested in private prison. So every freaking word that comes out of his mouth is a conflict of interest just because he is the head of the Department of Justice, meaning if he can get away with it, anybody can get away with it. The president, the vice president, and we've seen that happen with people like um, Dick Cheney and the sitting sitting attorney general, Alberto Gonzalez, who were both invested in private prisons and were they would try to hold those two accountable. There was indictments in Texas and Wallace County over all of this, and it just vanished. But they had $80 million of their own money invested in private prisons. When is too much? When is it too much? I mean, where do you draw the line? Let's, um, let's, um, let's put the blame where it belongs on the people. Because Frederick Douglass said the limits of tyrants is prescribed by those they oppress. That's what he said. Yes. And I think that that's, says that's that, accurate. It also says it in the Declaration of Independence about how, you know, we will suffer as long as things are sufferable, but then there comes a time. Well, we're at the there comes a time part right now. They are hunting you in the streets. They've got bounties on your children's heads. They treat your women folk mothers, sisters, wives, daughters, like property and have them in prisons where they're abused in every way imaginable. It's time now. I mean, how many people do we need to lose? On an average, every year, 24 million people go through our justice system. 24 million. Every freaking year. In 10 years, and I've said this before, over 100 and 30 million people or bodies will have gone through our jail systems alone, not counting the prisons, just the jails. 130 million bodies in one decade, and all of it for profit. It's disgusting, man. It's very disgusting. Yes. Well, Scotty, we're in 903. You want to take a break now, uh, station identification, and then come back with some other stuff afterwards? Yes, sir. All right. You're listening to New Abolitionist Radio, and we are at our new location now, which is newabolitionistmovement.com. So make sure you send a message to somebody they should tune in. We'll be right back after these messages. Black 
Peace and welcome back to New Abolitionist Radio with Scotty Reed and Max Parthas here tonight. Next week, we'll be rejoined by Leila Aziz. Um, I want to get into our next story. You know, over the years here, we have really exposed some things. And we were like the voice in the wilderness, way ahead of everybody else, trying to tell you this was a problem. And one of those things that we really stuck with was examining what was happening with these uh, drug chemists. These uh, They were being presented from what we understood. It was like, was it 13 different states or 14 different states that had an incentive pro- provided by the prisons that gave extra money to either the drug lab departments by itself or the individual chemists for every positive result. Now, this is obviously a conflict of interest. In any case, uh, at one point, uh, two people were caught in Massachusetts, one of them being Annie Dukin. Annie Dukin has affected from anything from 20,000 to as many as 60,000 cases. And the irony of it all is she is already out of prison and walking free paid her dues and everything, while many of the people who were convicted due to her falsification over the years are still sitting in jail cells. Well, another story has just come out recently, uh, it says by Paul Solitarov 10 hours ago, and uh, I was given the original heads up from Brother Otis Griffin, and this article is from the Rolling Stones. It says, and justice for none. Inside the biggest law enforcement scandal in Massachusetts history, how the system covered up tens of thousands of falsified drug tests and how two teams of crusading lawyers exposed the wrongdoing. We've been telling you this is going on, not just in Massachusetts, but across America. All of these different incentives are set up in order to criminalize and incarcerate people. And there's all kinds of industries that get chunks of your ass by doing this. The uh, being one of them. I'll read some of the story for you. It says, Sonia Farrakh is in the grip of a rub raw depression that hasn't responded to medication. It's been like this forever, or at least since girlhood. She attempted suicide in high school and was hospitalized in college but somehow soldiered through to graduate with high distinction from the Worcester Polytechnic Institute. A bright, curious kid who was passionate about science, she found a job at a state drug lab and settled down with a woman she met in her 20s. But even on her best days, she felt alien and unseen, a ghost floating through her own life. Now, at 35, she's landed in a ditch. Her performance at work has fallen off a cliff, and she walks into nightly conflict at home where her wife, Disabled by a stew of mental ailments, spends her hours surfing the web in a haze. Farrick's arms are pocked with welts from compulsive scratching. She's been thinking a lot of killing herself and driving rashly enough that she just might do it if she doesn't have a heart attack first. But none of those things are her chief concern. On this chapped winter morning in 2013, know what's eating for rock the day as she's sitting in a county courthouse in downtown Wow, Max, your um, audio was going out there. Give me just a second to try something. Um, Max, Max, can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? Can Can you hear me, Scotty? I can hear you now, but you were breaking up something terrible when you started reading. Oh, I'm sorry about that. Okay, well, let me just, uh, I'll read a little bit more of this. I don't understand why they put this all of this storyline behind it instead of just getting to the facts, but let me see if I can speed it up. Since 2004, 
when she started pilfering drugs from her longtime place of employment, the Amherst Crime Lab of the Massachusetts State Police. So apparently she had been stealing drugs as a crime lab technician dealing with the drugs since 2004 and was in an attic all along. Um, her addiction to stimulants has galloped away, grabbed the reins of her life. She's a chemist who performs for sonic uh, forensic and analysis of the street drugs cop bring in running samples through complex machinery to determine the chemical makeup of each substance. Her findings, based partly on instrument data and partly on her veteran intuition, form the basis for criminal cases brought against people charged with coke and heroin sales in western Massachusetts. Until recently, Barack has been a standout performer in less than nine years she helped send away between 8,000 and 10,000 defendants. The only thing more prolific than her output is her drug use. Barack's been high since virtually the day she was hired. You can read the rest of this story on New Abolitionist Radio. But apparently, not only was she stealing the money, I mean the drugs that was being provided to her lab to test, but she was also falsifying the records of who and who wasn't, uh, who didn't and did not have a positive result. There's a lot of freaking words involved in this story. I wish they would have just got to the point. I'll find something else other than the Rolling Stone. But you can go ahead if you really want to spend the time and read through all of this. Apparently, they're trying to justify her addiction. Oh, it's not her fault. Uh, it's the demon in her, the drug demon. So we really can't blame her. And I'm not falling for any of that. Well, if, if it's the if it's a demon, then don't they want to exercise all of these other people in prison behind drugs? Because that's the that's your number one prison population right there. Nonviolent drug crimes. They talking about being lenient. Like for example, I signed a petition today. Um, California legalized cannabis. No, they already had legal med- medicinal cannabis. They legalized. Um, recreational cannabis and I know some people that worked on that so shout out to Neil Franklin and the law enforcement against prohibition which is made up of former law enforcement criminal justice professionals who go out and give lectures and 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 try to end the drug war but I signed a petition today that's saying that hey if it's legal now you need to expunge those convictions from everybody's arrest records. And if they're sitting in jail and convicted of possession, then, hey, they need to be let out of prison, you know? So that that's that's very important story right there um, that's under the radar right now. Uh, looks like we lost Max. Max might be having some internet connectivity issues, so I will read this story about Boca private prison giant sued again over forced labor claims at ICE detention center. So years ago, we had been saying, I did an interview with Angela Chan uh, in 2015. I actually came across it where I had shared it on Facebook and how Facebook shares your memories. And Angela Chan is Asian, um, American who is also an attorney who works on a lot of immigration issues and she had published in 2015 an article in the Huffington Post and she pointed out that the 13th Amendment does not abolish slavery 
All right? And so her angle being her field is immigration law. She argued that what they were doing to these detainees on immigration violations was even a violation of the 13th Amendment, that it was slavery outside of what is prescribed by the 13th Amendment. Now, she does, she did at the end of that interview declare herself an abolitionist and recognizing that, well, how else? I mean, how can you write an article saying the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery and not be an abolitionist except for you're a slaver, okay? So we way, way back then were talking about this was illegal. Now it's manifesting in the courts because people are taking these legal arguments to the court. And so this was published last year in 2017, actually just uh, three days ago, by Jerry, Jerry Lin- oh, how you pronounce this? Iannelli? Uh, yeah, Jerry Iannelli. Boca Raton's Geo Group is the second largest private prison company in America and makes a huge portion of his income imprisoning people on behalf of the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. It has repeatedly denied inmates in its facilities are forced to work against their will. The company rejected those claims in 2014 when a group of former detainees from Colorado filed a lawsuit alleging GEO Group forced them to work. The company refuted those claims Again, when the Washington State Attorney General sued the company this past September. Uh, so now you got a, a, um, a state attorney general who's suing a private prison enslaver instead of making deals with private prison enslavers so that they can be in compliance with a Supreme Court order to ease overcrowding. Yes, I'm talking about Kamala Harris. Last week, California inmate Raul Nuvoa filed a legal complaint against the South Florida company. They're based in Boca Raton, the geo group that is. George Zoli is CEO, also lives there, alleging that he and other inmates were forced to labor inside a GEO facility and that the company maintains a corporate policy and uniform practice of forcing inmates to work for a dollar per day. That's slave wages. Again, this is important to know the history of slavery, because if you try to advocate, like say you call a congressman, you talk to a member of their staff, and they'll tell you, hey, it can't be slavery because prisoners get paid a dollar a day. Well, the history shows that all victims prior to the 1865 emancipation, all of them weren't just, some of let me put it this way, some of them were paid. We've even... Uh, highlighted some of those stories. You had a woman who bought her way to freedom because she was a very skilled dressmaker and her dresses were very popular and to keep her content, so to speak, the person enslaving her uh, gave her a portion of the profits which she saved up and bought her freedom. Okay? So just because they paying them a dollar a day, that's just slave wages. That does not mean that this isn't slavery. So it goes on to say they sued them and they said they were paid a dollar per day which they needed to buy basic necessities such as food, water, and hygiene products. Now how much you're going to get on a dollar a day, you know, it it remains to be seen. I'm sure it wasn't a whole lot, 
But Novoa's suit, which was first reported by Law 360, also contends GEO punishes detainees who refuse to work by throwing them into disciplinary segregation or solitary confinement, reporting them to ICE or referring them for criminal prosecution. So again, these are not, as Angela Chan pointed out to me, these aren't criminal violations. These are civil infractions. These people haven't been convicted of any crime, just like Max was saying how we got all, you know, so many millions sitting in jails that ain't never been convicted of crimes. So what they do is in that situation is what do they do? They end up charging you with crimes. If you protest too much, you you complain too much, or you say, I'm not working, then this is what they they then come up with criminal prosecution. I mean, criminal charges. So it goes on to say, I'm like Max, man, we need to get to the point on some of this stuff, but I do understand you got to give background. Let me jump down to the point where it talks about this lawsuit, but it says GEO is a multi-billion dollar juggernaut, juggernaut and one of the most politically powerful entities in the state. This is in Florida. Politicians, including Senators Michael Rubio and Bill Nelson, Governor Rick Scott, Representatives Carlos Crabella and Mario Diaz-Balart, and most of the Florida legislature have been rightly criticized for accepting major campaign donations from GEO despite the company's abysmal human rights record, despite it being slavery. Uh, GEO maintains ICE facilities across the nation, Uh, Blah, blah, blah. Earlier this year, the American Civil Liberties Union accused GEO of torturing detainees at its facility in Aurora, Colorado, by withholding food, water, and access to restrooms. The inmates in question were Iraqi nationals who had joined an ACLU lawsuit to halt their deportation proceedings. The Civil Liberties Group claims GEO and ICE were punishing the detainees for speaking out. Um, inmates at the very same 1,500-bed Colorado facility sued GEO in 2014, alleging they were paid only a dollar per day to perform mandatory menial tasks at the detention center in exchange for basic life-sustaining items. In March 2017, again, March, I mean, 2017 was a big year, a federal judge certified that the lawsuit's class action status, meaning ICE and GEO, could be forced to back pay 60,000 inmates, I'm pretty sure it's more than that, if the courts find the inmates' rights were violated. Again, these people have not been duly convicted of crimes. The 13th Amendment don't apply to them, so you can't pay them slave wages. You got to pay them whatever you pay a person on the outside, whatever the federal minimum wage is. Okay, so that's what that class action lawsuit was all about, and it's still in the courts. Uh, Washington State is locked in a fight with GEO over this over this same issue. State Attorney General Bob Ferguson sued the company in September, alleging the dollar per day wages at its 1,575 bed facility in Tacoma violated the state's $11 per hour minimum wage law. Typically, minimum wage laws don't apply to prison facilities. But Ferguson argues that because GEO is a private company holding people on civil 
rather than criminal charges, the wage floor should apply. People, how how, how often do I have, what more do you need to hear to be convinced that this is slavery? Now, I know they're talking about immigrant detainees, but they're telling you that their detention is illegal because they're being paid slave wages. Only way this will be illegal is via the 13th Amendment. This is why the 13th Amendment is so important, people. It is so, so important. Um, It says, according, let me jump down. According to the lawsuit, Novoa, the California inmate, was detained at Atalanto Ice Processing Center northeast of Los Angeles in San Bernardino County, which began housing detainees in 2011. Since then, the suit says more than 73,000 people have passed through the facility in government custody. It has been cited in the past for a series of problems, including accusations of inadequate medical care so pronounced that more than 24 members of Congress wrote a letter expressing concerns about neglect at the facility in 2015. This year, the Detention Watch Network, a group of civil rights advocates labeled Atalanto, the deadliest ICE detention center of 2017. Um, That's pretty much it. It goes on. um, Let me see. Yeah, that's it in terms of the lawsuits. All right, so it's already being legis... I mean, it's already being litigated in the courts. I, I see you, Max. Uh, sound, you sound, say something else again, Max. Can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. Okay, so let me wipe this up. I'm having a terrible connection today, so pardon me, Scotty. Uh, you may have to carry the rest of the program. My connection keeps going off and on. Hey, we, we'll fight through it. We've been doing it for five years, going on six, so no problem, bro. Okay. Yep. But Again, people. Now, let me take this back to what Max mentioned earlier about Yvette Carnell and Antonio Moore. And I am on their side in terms of when you have Indians coming over here from India being given jobs that should go to African Americans. When they're importing labor and then you have high black African descendant of, of victims of slavery, unemployed, I, I I am totally see the logic in their argument. And if those people don't recognize how they're harming us, then they can't be allies. But did, like I mentioned to her, in terms of the issue of slavery, not the issue of reparations, not the issue of employment, although employment does figure into slavery. Okay, but when it comes to allies, I see the all these detainees in these immigration facilities is allies in the abolitionist movement. In fact, I would say some of them are are are, are doing more than natural born, you know, Americans who are suffering slavery, but just in a different form because they've been convicted. And, and sent to slavery via the 13th Amendment. But I see these as natural allies. And in terms of the abolitionist movement, I'll take my allies where I can get them. All right, um, let's go to area code 203. 
Uh, thank you for calling in the New Abolitionist Radio. Give us your name and go ahead with your question or comment. Area code 203 out of the Connecticut area. Do you have a question or comment? I assumed you did that you're unmuted. Okay. No. Uh, Max, let, let me go back to you. Max, you have any comments? Okay, I'll go to 702. 702 just unmuted themselves. Thank you for calling in. Uh, give us your name and go ahead with your question or comment. Hello. Um, thank you for taking my call. This is Red. I'm in Nevada. Hi, um, Red. My only comment is I definitely appreciate the show, and I actually um, recently listened to the broadcast that you all did with the attorney. I think her name was Akisha. And yes. I started reading more about the mandatory fees. And um, there was actually in, in New York, it was on like nyc.gov or some New York government website where it was saying that they pay like $30, or, sorry, $300 plus a $25 fee to go to the victim's fund. And then I was just reading about just a breakdown of that, how it gets split up into all these different um, many organizations and how it's almost. Um, I think it, it's like hundreds of millions of dollars that they are now having this fund. But just read, I, I was able to actually find a better article about the Sonia uh, drug addict lady. And it said that she only served 18 months with 18 months in prison, which didn't make sense. I don't know if that was um, incorrect or not. Um, but I, I had only one question. I have been listening to the show for a while and I'm trying to um, kind of, um, just better understand because I, I definitely understand um, the the 13th Amendment now that y'all have pointed it out so many times and I've read the 13th Amendment here and then also in other states um, but how 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 are these people it seems like people are trying to um, justify it by saying you know it keeps the the jail costs or the prison costs down but I can I I'm I don't I don't want to say that it's it's I'm kind of confused as far as like, wouldn't it be different between if, uh, if, if the inmates, if they had to like, you know, work in the prison to sustain the prison itself and, but saw, and, and not necessarily have anything to do with like a private industry that, you know, can make billions of dollars off of them. Um, wouldn't both of those be wrong? I guess. I'm not sure if I understand the question. Um, in, Outside of the private prisons, we're talking about state and federal prisons, correct? And your your question is, is it in terms of, yes, of them getting paid? Should they be paid the federal minimum wage even though they've been convicted of crimes? Is that your question? Well, I'm sorry. My question is that it, it seems like is it – is it all right? Because it seems like when when this topic is brought up uh -huh. um, about, you know, having inmates paid, is it all right for them to work to sustain the prison itself? So if they were to grow food and only have that food go towards, like, to feed the inmates or, you know, just to clean up around the jail, um, whether and, and either get paid slave wages or get paid nothing, would that, is that considered right? No, but it shouldn't be. It, it shouldn't be. That's slavery. Okay. 
That's slavery. That's that's what I was thinking, but I was I was kind of getting confused because it seems like sometimes when I I try to research this, it almost seems like it's put in a way that mm. okay, well, it should be all right if they are sustaining the prison, so that way they don't have to bring in other people who could possibly you know get hurt or whatever. Right, but, I understand yeah. now. Your question is, is that the propaganda that you're coming across is trying to justify it by saying it's saving taxpayers monies if the prisoners, you know, do all the work and we don't have to hire, you know, let's say a cleaning contractor to bring their people in and clean it. And and, and I would say it's not saving money, but at the same time, what would save even more money if the people wasn't in prison to begin with? Again, we have to recognize the fact that that sixty uh, percent or more of all people who are in prison are in there for nonviolent, victimless crimes. Now, I you will come across some people who say they are abolitionists, and I'm not saying they're not, but they also want to abolish prisons. I'm not there yet because we need to segregate these rapists, these murderers. I just read about this thirty-one year old man. Uh, uh, killing his six-year-old stepson. So, you know, I'm I'm not about abolishing prisons. I'm about abolishing slavery. So, yes, when that man goes to prison, he should be put to work. But at the same time, though, he should also be paid a minimum wage so that he doesn't become a burden to those who still love him and going to be caught sending in money, you know, to put on his canteen and all of that. And then if he want to talk to his mama and, and, and stuff, it's costing her an arm and a leg to talk to him and what have you. So and then as other guests have put it, they can save that money up. And then when they come out of prison, then they'll have a savings account to where they can get an apartment, can purchase a vehicle, and, and you know, just have the basic necessities. And again, don't be a burden to the family. So, uh, again, again, I'm not saying, like, you know, I got a little brother that was in prison, wrongfully uh, incarcerated. He was not a burden that he didn't have no money when he came out on our family. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying is that he would have been able to adapt a lot quicker if he'd had some savings for the work that he was doing. And they, cause they had him working on a turkey farm here in North Carolina, processing turkeys and what have you. So does, does that kind of help you um, work through that propaganda that you've been reading? Oh, yes. And I, um, cause that question actually came up because while y'all were talking during the broadcast, I looked up Unicor's um, website and it's, filled with propaganda they even have a list of quote-unquote facts and answers i'm sorry uh, facts and um answers and facts or whatever and it says like some of them where it says that um well you isn't basically um why would you want to use prison labor and it and they were talking about well oh it it reduces recidivism and stuff like that um, so I, I, def, I just wanted to point that out and I, I definitely appreciate all the information it's definitely t- taught me a lot um, oh the last thing I'm sorry I wanted to say was that I recently went to um, the National Civil Rights Museum in Memphis Tennessee mm-hmm. and um, I, I wanted to let you know that they also have not killed off Lincoln yet there was a huge um, photo or portrait or whatever of Abraham Lincoln and they in during their um their uh, and for, uh, their educational video 
they talked about how the 13th Amendment ended slavery, but it also ended with like the dot, dot, dot. Um, they didn't provide the whole. Oh, uh, my amendment. goodness. So, I, so <laughs> I, I wanted, so I definitely appreciate, you know, me, you know, just listening to Black Talk Radio Network and, and other programs. And I was able to at least um, tell like some of my family members, like, that's, that's not right. This isn't, you know, it didn't just end, you know, 1865. So I appreciate that. Thank you. I'll beat my life. Thank you for that report from the field. I told I, when they had that 150th anniversary of the passage of the 13th Amendment or the ratification of the 13th Amendment and different news outlets was writing articles about it. It was just like she just said. And why you don't put the whole 40 something words? Why I say why you say involuntary servitude and slavery shall be abolished dot dot dot? Why you leaving out the rest? That's intentional deception. That's intentional because whoever put that dot, dot, dot read the whole thing and it was like, hey, slavery wasn't really abolished. So You know, Scotty, there's wow. only 32 words in part one to begin with and 14 of those words are about the exception. Exactly. So I appreciate that, that, that you know, real world example. And she, I don't know if you caught the whole thing, Max, but she said she had went to the Civil Rights Museum yes. in, in Memphis. And, and, you know, here we got this vicious white supremacist, Indian killing um, <laughs> slaver. Being glorified. Being glorified. That he is not. Being uh, glorified. Yeah, it's it's going to take some effort. I appreciate that report from the field, too, as well. And then to know that they even tried to fool you there. Or maybe they're trying to fool themselves. I don't know. When they put... Slavery was abolished, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> like, what is that? Like, we, we, we're not grown-ups. We can't handle an exception. You don't want us to critically think about that at all? Mm-mm-mm. And Unicorn, Amazing. And, one of the things I wanted to mention, because she said she went to Unicorn's website, and yes, they sell it, you know, as a, a reducing recidivism, providing them with job training, and, and all this and that. And that Unicorn is owned by USA Inc., the federal government. They don't just run it. They own it. And it produces, what's the profit that they produce annually, Max? Is it a, is it a billion dollars? A billion dollars in 2012. Can somebody the tell me where they, before, where, they where? were worth a billion dollars in revenue. So is that... Is that being split up between the senators and the congressmen and or the executive branch or handing out bonuses? Where does that money go to? Does it go to programs like the SNAP program? You know, they call it food stamps. Is it going? Is that where it's going to? Where is this this profit going? Somebody I hear Ron Paul talking about auditing the Fed. They need to audit Unicor because I don't know where that money's going. It's crazy. So, so you know, and that also reminded me of when Kamala Harris visited that women's prison about two to three weeks ago. They in there sewing American flags, y'all. They in there sewing American flags. The prisoners, the, the prison slaves, victims of slaves. That are being sold on the international market. That's being sold on the international market. And Kamala Harris um, heralded that as a great jobs training program. My goodness. Yeah. 
in California, they have a number of AT&T call centers built into the prisons. It, it, it's like that. And, you know, it is a good idea to give an opportunity to people who are behind bars to either work or further their education to do something to prepare themselves for the future, as you say. Uh, let's not assume that everybody that's in jail never worked a day in their life, first of all, right. <laughs> and needs job training. Maybe you took that job from them by incarcerating them. That's true. But, uh, you know, just the idea that giving them the opportunity to do this is all well and fine, but you have to compensate them for their efforts. Otherwise, you know what they call it? Slave labor. And why do they call it like that? Because when you force someone by threat of putting them into solitary confinement or to add time to their sentence or even violence, when you do that and then you take that labor and you make money on it, that's called slavery. That's what it is. And you're treating these people like property, state and, and, property. And Max, do they do prisoners not have young children at home possibly being cared for by the a spouse or partner that, you know, didn't get put into slavery and or by a grandparent or something? Don't some of these people still have child support to pay? They got a lot of things to pay a lot of things to do that they could be doing with that money if they were working. Like, I mean, just look at California's firefighters. You mean if they were being paid, not working, if they were being paid for, paid yeah, properly for paid. the work. Yeah. Like, what is the, the firefighters in California making? What was it, $2 uh, an hour, I believe it was? I think it was a dollar an hour. Fires. So you're talking people being out there 12 hours a day. Uh, so they're making $24 for 12 hours out there. And they're doing this like five or six days a week. So they might bring home a little bit more than $100. And then you're taking taxes out. And then they're taking out, you know, fines and fees. And we were just talking about in California is pay to pay to stay now. So what if they're actually charging you for being in the jail? You could end up coming out in debt when yes. you just spent the last three years fighting freaking forest fires. Right, right. This is an evil, wicked system, people. And it's gonna take a it's gonna take a monumental effort to to end slavery once and for all. I don't know if it'll come down to it being another shooting war, you know. And I'm not afraid of that. I don't want to see that though, because war isn't pretty. It's not something that should be talked about lightly or anything. So that we need to do all the non-violent things that we can do before it gets to that point. But if it gets to that point, then I'm, I'm cool with that too. But we people, it, it's really going to take um, unified uh, force to come up against these people. It's, it's just all, it permeates society. It's the foundation of this so-called society. It's the foundation of this government. Slavery. So, like Max said, in 2018, please make a pledge to get your language right. You know, I'm not saying you got to be rude and be correcting people all the time. And, oh, no, it's not mass incarceration, it's slavery. No, interrupt them. But when it's your turn to speak, don't say mass incarceration, say slavery. Just little things like that can help us spread awareness. But please, please take that pledge with me. This is 2018. It's a very important voting year, okay? Call these people that's running for office, those people that's already in office, that's up for re-election, and craft the, craft your message and, and get these people to consider prison slavery, okay? So maybe, Max, that's something 
that we need to work on is a script for people can 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 use to call their own. And I'm not saying call every last single. No, just call like let me see. I got a state senator in that live in this area. I know where his address at. I know where his house at. I might go knock on his door. All right. Um, we got a, a state house uh, representative, and then we got a member of Congress for this district, and then we got a senator. So that's four phone calls. Is that too much to ask you to make four phone calls to let these people know? Well, I said also call the people that is running against them. So let's say eight phone calls. Just call these people and make that demand that they talk about. And it's not impossible. Max already did it. We've even interviewed abolitionist con- candidates running for Congress that wasn't in our local area. We interviewed one in Alabama, even though he might be a fraud. Um, we interviewed one in Indianapolis. He didn't win. But, I mean, do y'all know that's not history being made right there in the, in the awareness that that is bringing? So, I won't take up a lot of time, Max, uh, do you have a story you want to share? I just got through with the Boca Raton story and the lawsuits involving Geo Group. Yes, I was able to listen to it, Scotty. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to reply. I've been having this bad connection going on. So if you lose me, I know you can handle it. I'm sorry, it's, it's my fault. Uh, I'm at a uh, location that I'm not normally broadcasting from. So anyway, uh, we've got like 20 minutes and we got these three segments to cover, and they're pretty important segments, the uh, uh, stories for this week, particularly one regarding Operation Push. So we're talking about what can we do, and also, you know, we have this uh, segment that we do for freedom's sake, a history rebellion, where we have talked about past rebellions all the way back to the 15 and 1600s, and even current rebellions with the uh, with September 9th prison labor work strike. Uh, on a national level, which we consider one of the largest rebellions in U.S. history, if not the, other than the Civil War itself. Well, we have another one coming up, Scotty, and uh, rather than talk about what has happened, we're going to talk about what will happen as our uh, For Freedom's Sake, A History of Rebellion segment. I think that's uh, something a little bit different. And it's called Operation Push, Prison Work Stoppage Call for MLK Junior Day. Uh, you can find them on the Operation Push campaign page, and that is at incarceratedworkers.org slash campaigns slash operation dash push dash prisons dash work dash stoppage dash call dash MLK dash junior dash day. Anyway, uh, we'll put it up on New Abolitionist Radio so you can read it in its detail. Uh, it says the following message. Is from a group of prisoners who are spread through the Florida Department of Corrections, DOC. It was sent anonymously and compiled from a series of correspondences received on November 26th and 27th by both the Gainesville chapter of the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee, IWOC, who we worked with before, and the National Campaign to Fight Toxic Prisons. We have been able to verify the authenticity of this message which was also posted at SPARC Supporting Prisons and Real Change, a social media page for Florida prisoners and their families. According to their statements, these prisoners 
plan to initiate a work stoppage or laydown beginning Monday, January 15th, coinciding with MLK Day, in nonviolent protest of conditions in Florida prisons. They are calling it Operation Push. Their primary demands are clear and concise. End prison slavery. Stop price gouging and fully return parole. They believe these issues have directly created the overcrowding that is responsible for the deplorable conditions in Florida prisons. Their statement also raises other major issues that need to be grappled with, including the death penalty, voting rights, and environmental health conditions. From the communications we have received, these prisoners claim to represent thousands in at least eight facilities already, and they say they are prepared to stay down indefinitely until someone addresses their concerns. The following text is their message regarding Operation Push in its entirety. Florida prisoners call for Operation Push to improve the lives of incarcerated people and the communities we come from, sending out an SOS to all parties concerned. We are currently forming a network agency within the DOC. We are asking all prisoners within the Department of Corrections to take a stand by laying down starting January 15, 2018, until the injustices we see facing prisoners within the Florida system is resolved. We are calling on all organized groups as well as religious systems to come together on the same page. We will be taking a stand for payment for our labor rather than the current slave arrangement, ending outrageous canteen prices, and three, reintroducing parole incentives to lifers and those with Buck Rogers dates. Along with these primary demands, we are also expressing our support for the following goals. Stop the overcrowding and acts of brutality committed by officers through FDOC, which have resulted in the highest death rates in prison history. Expose the environmental conditions we face, including extreme temperatures, mold, contaminated water, and being placed next to toxic sites such as landfills, military bases, and phosphate mines, including a proposed mine which would surround the reception of the Medical Center prison in Lake Butler. And honor the moratorium on state executions as a court-ordered the state to do without the legal loophole now being used to kill prisoners on death row and then lastly restore voting rights as a basic human right to all not a privilege regardless of criminal convictions so that's from operation push they talk about slave labor price gouging and parole and they are going on a prison labor work strike where they will lay down indefinitely until this system in Florida of prison slavery has been addressed. Salute. I gotta say salute, salute for New Abolitionist Radio salute. as our revolution and remembering our, our rebellion. Well, I will take the abolitionists and profile max if you want to get the final segment um, yes, sir. pulled up. That's fine. Okay. So our abolitionists in profile tonight is John Mercer Langston, 1829-1897. John Mercer Langston, the youngest of four children, was born a free black in Louisa County, Virginia in 1829. Langston gained distinction as an abolitionist, politician, and attorney. Despite the prominence of his... Wait a minute. So, oh, okay, I got it now. I'm about to say, despite the prominence of his slave owner father, Ralph Quarles, 
Langston took his surname from his mother, Lucy Langston, an emancipated victim of slavery of Indian and black ancestry. I was like, wait a minute, man, he's a free black and he got a slave on a father. So uh, apparently, you know, he was never enslaved. Okay, uh, that's rare. When both parents died of unrelated illnesses in 1835-34, I'm sorry, five-year-old Langston and his older siblings were transported to Missouri where they were taken in by William Gooch, a friend of Ralph Quarles. At 14, Langston began his study at the preparatory department at Oberlin College, known for its radicalism and abolitionist politics. Oberlin was the first college in the United States to admit black and white students. Langston completed his studies in 1849, becoming the fifth African-American male to graduate from Oberlin's collegiate department. In 1854, Langston married Caroline Matilda Wall, a emancipated victim of slavery from North Carolina. She and Langston had remarkably similar backgrounds. Both had been born into slavery and were freed by their slave-owning fathers who provided for them financially. Once freed and sent north, they were able to obtain an education. When Wall was a young girl, she and her sister Sarah were sent to Ohio by their father, Colonel Stephen Wall. Under the guardianship of a wealthy family friend, the sisters were brought up in an affluent Quaker household. Like Langston, Caroline Wall also attended Oberlin, graduating in 1856. In 1855, Langston was elected town clerk of Brownhelm Township in Ohio, become the first black elected official in the state. In addition to his law practice and activities as town clerk, Langston and his brothers Gideon and Charles participated in the Underground Railroad. John Mercer Langston caught the attention of Frederick Douglass, who encouraged him to deliver anti-slavery speeches. During the Civil War, Langston recruited black volunteers for the Massa Massachusetts 54th Infantry Regiment, officially the country's first African-American military unit. And, and, and I would add to that, just for the sake of clarity and history, they weren't the first African-American uh, soldiers or black soldiers. Uh, without black soldiers, the British would have won the Revolutionary War. They just didn't have any all black units, all right, during the Revolutionary War. All right, in 18, almost done here, Max. In 1868, Langston moved to Washington, D.C. to help establish the nation's first black law school at Howard University. He became his first dean and served briefly as acting president of Howard in 1872. In 1877, President Rutherford B. Hayes appointed Langston U.S. minister to Haiti. He refer returned to the U.S. in 1885 and became president of Virginia Normal and Collegiate Institute, which is now Virginia State University. In 1888, John Mercer Langston ran for a seat in Congress as an independent against a white Democratic opponent. The election results were contested for 18 months. Langston was finally declared the winner and served the six remaining months of his term. Langston lost his re-election bid in 1890. Partly because of his prominence, the Oklahoma Territory town of Langston and the college created in the town, Langston University, were named after him. John Mercer Langston died in Washington, D.C. on November the 15th, 1897, and New Abolitionist Radio 
salutes both John Mercer, Langston, and Caroline Matilda Wall. Salute, indeed. Uh, shout out to Ohio abolitionists. Uh, I visited some of those, those locations uh, where he was speaking. All right. A writer of the 21st Century Underground Railroad is Lamont McIntyre, who was wrongfully imprisoned in the state of Kansas for 23 years. He was exonerated for being wrongfully imprisoned on October 13, 2017, and has yet to receive any help or assistance from the state for what was done to him. This story comes from uh, the Kansas City Star, and it begins with, I spent 23 years in prison for a crime I didn't commit. Kansas is giving me nothing. Floyd Bledsoe, Richard Jones, and I share a unique bond. We were all wrongfully convicted by the state of Kansas. We, assert, we all served decades in prison together at Lansing Correctional Facility until we were exonerated and released. Now, we are all 41 years old. We are restarting our lives without a dime of support from the state that unjustly imprisoned us. Floyd and Richard each served 16 years, and I spent 23 years behind bars. We were all innocent. It is hard to describe the emotional toll of losing that time. I was only a teenager when I was taken from my family. Floyd and Richard could not be there to raise their children. We missed all of the special occasions like birthdays and Christmases and the simple daily activities that make up a normal life. No amount of money can give us back those years, but the state can help with our financial hardships. However, Kansas is one of the of only 18 states in the country without a law to compensate the wrongfully convicted. After everything that the three of us have been through, we are still struggling just to make ends meet. At our age, most people have a career path, retirement accounts and assets, but we are all starting from scratch. Next month, I plan to enter college to finish the degree I began in prison. Luckily, a scholarship is going to help pay for my education, but I still have to find a way to afford an apartment food and clothing. When Floyd was wrongfully convicted, he lost a good salary as a dairy farmer and had to sell his land and livestock to pay for legal expenses. Since his release, he's found a job, but he still faces financial challenges like getting a car loan without any credit history. Richard is struggling to find employment with a multi-year gap in his resume. Ironically, we had we been guilty we would be eligible for more support from the state of Kansas, including job training and mentoring programs. Without a state compensation law, our only option is to file a federal uh, suit lawsuit against the local government that contributed to our wrongful convictions. This isn't an ideal option for anyone. The wrongfully convicted have to meet a very high burden of proving that their cases involved official misconduct, and it often takes years of litigation before any money is paid. Taxpayers are ultimately left to pick up the tab for these lawsuits, as they did in 2010 when Riley County agreed to a $7.5 million civil settlement for the wrongful conviction of Eddie Lowry. A state law with a fixed payment for each year the innocent person spent behind bars would provide consistency and more immediately help for the wrongfully convicted. Kansas lawmakers should look to a Texas law as a model, which provides $80,000 for each year in prison or neighboring Colorado, which offers 75000 The law should also provide us with an official judicial declaration of innocence so there is no confusion for employers and others that we had, were wrongfully convicted. In recent years, the Kansas legislator 
has worked to prevent wrongful convictions by requiring eyewitness identification, best practices, and recording of suspect interrogations. Now it's time for the state to finally make things right for the innocent by ensuring we receive the financial compensation we need to rebuild our lives. And we here at New Abolitionists want to say welcome to Freedom, Lamont McIntyre, and your brothers, and we hope that everything turns out uh, much better than it already has for you. Man, just disgusting, Scotty. Man. Man. It's disgusting, dude. Man, like, how many times are we gonna read a story like this where you steal somebody's life, twenty years, thirty years, forty years, and then you leave them out with nothing to die, like to literally die? We've seen him do that. <sighs> All right. Well, it has been a heck of a year, 2017. 2008 is going to be uh, more epic than 2017 was. This is the year we actually get a lot of hard work done. And if we get uh, the congressional hearings that we've been asking for and that the Human Rights Network has said they're going to uh, put into place, if we get those, the whole world's going to change, man. Freedom might actually be in sight for us at some point, not only here in the United States, but also abroad where they're facing this same issue now in its infancy. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Well, Max, well, you want to get to our final comments as we do have mind, body, and spirit coming up. I see uh, the sister in queue. Yes, sir. Uh, um, would you want to start it? Or you- yeah, I, I, of course. I started. Um, right. I just, again, want to thank everyone um, for 2017 and the support that they gave us in support of the Millions for Prisoners Human Rights March, um, just everyone who shares the programs with others. And more importantly, like the caller, um, she used that information that, that she heard on the radio program to inform her family members in a real-life situation when they went to a museum and they're confronting them with the lie of the 13th, didn't even have guts enough to even publish the entire 13th, but she was knowledgeable enough to point that out to her family members. And so, you know, that just that's just, hey, that's just great. That's great, you know, when we can inform people because as they say you know half knowing is half the battle you can't fight something if you don't know it exists so i just want to uh echo max's thoughts about our hopes and aspirations for 2018 uh definitely congressional hearings on the 13th amendment will go a long way towards not only educating the public here in the United States, but educating the entire world. And and I, you know, just want to salute the human rights networks for stepping up and using their resources to make that happen. And so let's just keep fighting until, as that poem or essay that Max wrote, until the day slavery ended. Man, you just messed me up by saying that. Scotty, because now I'm thinking of that day like I can see it in my mind and I'm sure you can too out there listening because you see what we see and you can imagine a day where we don't have to deal with that anymore. You know, for us, it's always been four simple goals that we're after. The first being abolition. You got to end slavery. Uh, First of all, right off the bat, then emancipation. You got to get these people out of these cages. Let them go. They ain't got no business being in there. And let's try to rebuild their lives and their communities and our lives and our communities. And then reparations and reconciliation. You know, somebody needs to be held accountable. 
this wealth, a lot of this wealth is ours as a people, and it has been stolen from us, including the land and the wealth. So we need to get some of that back so we can have autonomy for the first time. Maybe we can decide what we want to do with our wealth instead of going and doing what you want us to do. Anyway, that's what we've been trying to accomplish and what we will continue to try to accomplish here in the new abolitionist movement. Uh, welcome to 2018, and keep in mind that abolition is a reason for a revolution so we can finally know some peace. 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 Just lift your eyes up, let your wise rise up, see the signs of the times if it's time, rise up, rise up, when death and hell dwell among all God's people, when those we chose and trusted have become completely corrupted and inherently evil, when the feast that feeds you starves our father's children, when snuff porn and pedo forms begin to get top billing, rise up, when famine claims millions, when justice gives blind eyes to billions, when the Lord's anger is no longer feared if his protection is gone and your enemies are near if you've seen the seas spill over and the mountains shake break and fall if the moon ever turns blood red and you can't see the sun at all